got big Matt Wenning here. Uh, Matt, um, besides being a friend, uh, world record holder, um, a master's in degree. Biomechanics. Um, not only uh, did powerlifting, studied it, uh, but has been altering it and changing it and, and, and enhancing it uh, through the years. Sure. Um, like I told uh, everybody else, he's one of the few guys I'll actually talk training with because I, I, I believe uh, he understands the concept of not just being a power lifter or not just being a bodybuilder, but using uh, training um, for longevity and, and, and enhancing the body more so than even just getting strong. Sure. And he also works with a lot of kids like I do. Um, and the great thing about uh, uh, Matt and I, for, for everybody that's out there, very similar uh, training through our young teen years, yeah. uh, in, into our teenage years, um, and into our 20s. Very similar, size-wise, uh, not strength-wise. <laughs> he, he beat me on strength. Um, but uh, we were both big believers in being strong and being elite and, and competing against men at such a young age. Sure. Uh, so one of the great things, you, you weigh how much right now? 268. 268, so we're about the same. Yeah. So um, um, strong as a horse. His technique is so, I've said this to you guys, uh, don't do the squats or the bench or the exercise until you get it right. Uh, do it until you can't get it wrong. And, and we trained legs Monday, yeah, and it was funny because I was trying to put him in awkward positions, and his body is so solid and locked uh, in, in a strong way that uh, we couldn't put him in an awkward position. Like his body has no idea what that awkward position is. It, yeah. It's it's so perfect. And yeah. I'll, I'll put up the video, or she already put up the video of him squatting. And when you see him squat, it's like Michael uh, Jordan playing basketball. It's a beautiful thing to watch. Um, his knee barely moves. It's, it's, you can just see how safe and how you can only get stronger and you can't get the, those injuries um, mm -hmm. relative to everybody else. It's all wobbling and stuff. So, sure. Matty Matt, talk to us about your uh, schooling. Well, um, started off in uh, at Ball State at 99. So, how the schooling started was, you know, I was from Indiana, so Indianapolis Colts, you know, everybody lived and breathed Indianapolis Colts. And my mom was in charge of surgery at the hospital. She's a nurse practitioner, and she was in charge of surgery at the 100,000-person, um, you know, village hospital. And uh, she had a friend that she worked with, and her son was about five years older than me. So at 19, he was 24, and he was a, he was a, a phenom accountant. So he became an accountant for the Colts. Well, we had all met up there. I met my mom at work for something, and. Uh, my mom's like, oh, you ought to talk to uh, so-and-so's um, son. He, he works for the Colts. I'm like, she, he's like, yeah, they have a strength conditioning guy down there. And being from a small town, I didn't even realize that pro football teams had strength coaches. I figured I'm going into weight training because I just like weight training, and if I'm going to be a personal trainer, I don't, I don't know where that's going to lead. But right. I don't realize the career opportunities at this time. How old were you right then? Uh, 20? Was just about 18. 18. Yeah, so I had decided if I was going to go to – what I was going to go to school exactly for, or even if I was going to go to school, I was going to initially go into the pipe fitters union and be a welder. That was kind of the family trade, and that's how the belt squats started. All right. So uh, this guy's like, hey, they have a strength coach at the Colts. You ought to go talk to him and see how to get a job like that. So I go down there, 
and his name's John Torrey. He's an East Coast guy. He's from around the Jersey area. And he's like, well, what are you looking to do? I said, well, I want a job like yours. I want to train pro athletes. So he kind of snickered at me and and uh, he shows me around and he's like, well, you need to go to school for to do something like that. And I'm thinking, all right, you know, so he's like, where do you live? And I'm like, I live up in Muncie, which is about an hour north. And he goes, you realize that's one of the top schools in the country for exercise science right now, right? And I'm like, I didn't even know that. So I show up at school and Dr. Kramer's there and Dr. Volick and uh, Dr. Costle, if you read any book on endurance or strength training, you're going to find Costle in there from the 1960s and 70s. So this guy had been around a long, long time and created one of the first human performance labs in the country. <clears throat> and keeping that in mind, since you're in the Pacific Northwest, we had a piece of Prefontaine's quadricep in the freezer. Oh, wow. So we got to take a cell out. That's an organ boy. Yeah, we got to take a cell out and actually study his slow twitch fibers under microscope and see how elite he really how was. Crazy was it? It was crazy. So he not only had an insane VO2 max, his muscles were very different than the average humans to the point that he wouldn't make a lot of lactic acid. He could run at a certain pace forever. If you guys don't know, uh, that was one of the greatest runners in history. Um, died young. Yeah. Uh, car accident, if yep. I remember correctly. Yep. From, uh, but he was basically uh, at Oregon State. Uh, yeah, Oregon. he was he was in Oregon, and he's the one that made Nike famous. Made Nike's famous because the mm -hmm. coach there was the creator of Nike. Yeah, so Costel had the ability to not only study his VO2 in the 70s, but when he died and left his body to science, they left pieces of his uh, muscle wow. tissue for Costel to study. So that was pretty neat as a grad student, being able to study Prefont actually have a piece of Prefontaine's fibers in your hand. If you guys know that, I mean, just... Do a little research on that. It's pretty actually really kind of cool stuff. Yeah, pretty neat. So I get to Ball State. I have a stellar cast of uh, professors, um, and that led me into going into biomechanics. I met a guy named Dr. Robert Newton, who studies tons of strength and power. And Robert Newton was from Australia, and he was big in rugby, um, studying things over in Australia. And uh, Dr. Kramer had got him to move over to Ball State to run the biomechanics lab. So me and him hit it off very, very well. And uh, he's like, you need to come to biomechanics. We need guys like you in the lab that maybe aren't the smartest with mathematics or have a, as much of a science background, but your applied knowledge is second to none. So he's like, I want applied you to knowledge. take all these nerds and I want you to make them study stuff that's actually people are gonna use. So that was my goal is I, my uh, mathematics or my, uh, my assistant in the lab actually was a mathematics degree from MIT, so you can imagine yeah, the brains on the that. level of yeah. that. So, um, so go to grad school, get out of grad school. Um, I'm already lifting with Louis Simmons over at at Westside at the time because I had outgrown Indiana um, and really outgrown. And you're the still teen or twenties? Now I'm in my twenties. Okay, so. And this whole time, just so you guys understand, you're powerlifting at the same time and competing. Sure. Oh yeah, now, and that's the thing is I think. I would have been a better lifter younger if I would have only focused on lifting, but it wouldn't be nearly as educationally based in, and respected in the field if I wouldn't have done both at the same time. So as an undergrad, I, 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 won, yeah, I won multiple national and American record titles uh, as, a, as, an, um, as an undergraduate lifter. And then as my senior year hit, I turned pro my first grad year which was 24 and was one of the youngest guys to squat 900. Um, so I squatted 900 at 24 years old at 275. And then- So you're powerlifting, not only powerlifting, you're elite. Yeah. Uh, you're going to school. Sure. You're working with the best. Yeah. 
um, in the circle that you are around are the greatest researchers. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and also powerlifting. Sure. Because you were with Louie. So uh, you were around a such a pinnacle level of oh. people. I mean, like I was saying, how could you roll, like for you at your teenage years, how could you roll the dice and have it come out any yeah, better? Can't. You can't. So if you guys didn't know, uh, I was around the greatest powerlifters in the world as I grew up as a teenager. A guy named uh, Doug Furness, Doyle Kennedy, Jeff Magruder, um, Ed Cohen came over there. Um, and I trained, uh, I was like the gym mascot for Jeff Magruder's gym. And he brought up all the best powerlifters in the world. Sure. And so we, we grew up with the belief that we were already in that yeah you know I, I think what made us exceptional was is that as a young age we got desensitized to what heavy and light was yes you know when you see like you saw guys deadlifting 900 I saw guys benching in the mid fives to low 600s as a teenager those things did not seem unaccomplishable to right. me. they seemed like that was the proper step so the mindset of that particular thing was I don't I never cared what something looked like it weighed or how it felt. I knew we know people can move right, and you and you and I both know that once the weights get so heavy that you have to lock in, all you go to focus on is technique. Technique is what wins big weights, not not aggression. Right. You have to learn to control aggression and focus on form, and that and leverages is what beats big weights. So. Just so you guys, again, I'm going to come back to this again, because I want to talk to you young teenage and 20-year-olds today um, about your limitations and what's possible and what's not possible. Uh, again, we're talking about the the pool that we grew up with um, had no limitations, and we're setting the bar for everybody. Sure. Also, you understand that uh, we studied this, but we also applied it. Um, and not only did we apply it, we, we, we lived this. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I probably, and you as well, probably used as some sort of a moderate rule was I experiment before research. I have to train hard. And then I, I was one of the biggest proponents. I never went to the books looking for how to train. I went to the books looking for the reinforcement of the things that I already found. Right? We never said that to each other, but that is 100%. What I try to teach these guys, and sure. what I try to tell them, I say, go do this, and then let's talk about it after the fact. Sure. Don't go to the books and read it and go, okay, this is what it is. Yeah. Um, hey, so I, I see the branch chain amino acids don't work in EAAs. I'm talking about anything, nutrition, um, supplementation, training. Go try it. See if you feel it. See if something happens to you. Then come back and do the research on yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. I think that's one of the biggest proponents of understanding that you know there is such an art form to learning how to train and you can read the smartest books i mean mel Sif's super training book is gold zatsiorsky's science and practice of strength training is gold but i understood that book when i have already felt what that book was already trying to tell me if i was just reading that without experimentation and application there is very moderate re retention and usability in any of those books that's so huge, guys. And again, uh, we didn't talk about that, that that's how we learn, and that's how we establish our beliefs. Um, and, and something now, you're retired. Sure. Not retired from lifting like a maniac, but yeah. just retired from competing in that sense. Yeah, my thought pattern was is that, well, business doubled in one year after considering myself retired. But what that retirement meant was is that training doesn't take a back seat. 
training is still full throttle. It's being able to experiment outside of the range of specificity that is needed to be world-class. So if I want to squat 900 in just a belt, then that means that a lot of the things that I would like to try have to sit back and go towards the wayside and that started to make the training. Uh, and I knew that's where the training was going, but the last six or eight years that I competed, the training had to be very uh, almost religious in a sense of this is the volume parameter, this is the yes. type of squat I have to do today. You gotta stay in that bubble. That bubble, that bubble eventually is what tears you apart because once you reach elite, I believe that if you train very smart, you have around 10 years of being able to compete at a pro level of powerlifting. One, because you're going to get old and you're going to get mileage no matter what. But two, right. it's because the neurological drainage of the lack of rotation is what causes the lack of longevity, right? If I can't train off-season, I can't train off-season too long. I have to retain some of those gains, meaning that I will not be able to experiment nearly as much as I wanted to. So, for instance, if I was going to do a bench press meet in the next three to four months, coming out to you and training arms, for example, would be a humongous detriment to yeah, being can't can't able to bench 600 pounds. Right. So it's one of those things where it starts to take the fun out of things. And that's where you have to keep things fun and you have to keep them experimental and you have to keep willing to try and train different ways. And that's what's going to create the mental longevity. So just so you guys understand that. So uh, as teenagers, we're very similar, uh, not only our surroundings, but our beliefs in training and the size. We both graduated at high school at 272 pounds yep. which is crazy per pound exact 272 <laughs> um i cut down and competed at 242 in powerlifting he got to eat a little bit and yeah. this is what i want to talk about um we both competed we both did our things and now we are experimenting with with so much more we are writing our own textbooks now yeah um I do a lot of crazy nutrition um, along with my training to see how strong I can be at a uh, low intake. Yeah. And then uh, different forms, different uh, angles. Um, and, and you're doing the same kind of thing. You're changing things up. Now, yeah. something that we both do, and I want to ask you this, because social media is huge. And, and right today, it is the visual look that's impressive. Sure. You know, the guy with the abs, the guy with the shoulders, the teenager that's uh, ripped. And sure. these guys all want to talk about being ripped 24-7. And I wanted to give them a little insight that they may not understand this. So when people meet me in person, um, the one thing they would say is, holy snakes, you're a lot bigger than I thought. Right. Um, and I don't think you guys comprehend that most power lift, um, actually, sorry, most bodybuilders, back in the 50s and 60s and 70s were all power lifters. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, Arnold Schwarzenegger, power lifted um, as a teenager and into his 20s, um, Franco well, Colombo. He kept training partners that were all stronger than him. Yeah. You know, Colombo always kicked his ass on squats, but that made him work harder. And so what I want you guys to understand, all you youngsters today, um, I know you want to look good and I understand that you want to be ripped to the bone. But there is something I truly believe. At that age, being in a deficit with your calories all year long is probably the worst thing, in my opinion, that you can do. Because you're not getting any kind of foundation. Mm -hmm. um, it's the whole thing. You look good, but you, you're all show, no go. And one of the things is that we have some thickness that has developed through our teen years. Sure. Not because 
and, and Heath was talking about the same thing. Uh, Heath was a big 240 graduate, uh, but we ate mm -hmm. as kids. Yeah. Yeah, I think being at a deficit at a younger age is not, not a great way to sustain long-term, not only long-term mental health, but long-term physical capacity. I mean, you look at what's the average age of a guy that wins an Olympia now, 35, 38? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so how are you going to develop the size in which you will op op you know, optimally be? Let's say, when were you feel like you were at your biggest and thickest, 38 to 40? 30, I was my strongest, but I was allowed to... And I'll say this again. I was allowed to eat through my up to my 30s. Sure. Um, I didn't have to be sliced all year because I was magazines. And magazines would give me time to get cut up. Sure. Social media doesn't give us that time. No. You're, um, you're, yeah, you're cut 24-7. So I want to make a, a statement that do as I say and as he says, not as what I do. Uh, yeah. I'm much older than everybody here. Much well, older. The big difference is, and we talked about this yesterday, was what is your base? If you're cutting, constantly cutting from a base of not solid, hard training for nearly a quarter or more century, then you're going to start attacking the very things in which you were trying to build. At this point, for you and I both, if I were to go into a deficit diet for six months and you're going to a deficit diet for six months, there's still certain muscles that are never going to leave. Never going to leave. And the person that is dieting down too soon, they're going to attack their base. You and I's base are set in stone. You look at Kazmaier now. He cannot train hard. He's 70 years old. He's all beat up, you know, from all the injuries. And But he had trained so hard in his teens, 20s, and 30s that he has a base muscle that will yep. never leave. And Kazmaier will always look like he lifted weights. So just so if you guys don't understand that, what that means is uh, when you get through puberty or late puberty or, or through high school, you're going to have a stable weight that your body adapts to. Sure. Uh, I forgot the terminology of what that is. Yeah, homeostasis. Um, and, and ours is 270s. Sure. Um, and so if I diet down um, for a guest posing and I hit crazy diet down, um, I can barely get below 240 pounds. It is tough for me to get below 240. And then it takes me about two weeks to get to 275 again. Mm -hmm. My body just goes right back to that. Yeah. Um, and so that's what he's talking about here. So all you guys that are uh, in your teens, um, and I know that you guys are athletes or you guys are maybe wrestling. Uh, the great thing about for me is I was a heavyweight wrestler from the start, so I never dieted. Um, but I saw what the deficit did to my brother who always tried to cut weight and come down. He never got that size like I did. No. Body's always fighting just for survival. When you're cutting down like that and it senses those depletion points, then the problem is that your body starts to sense famine. And when that happens, it's gonna do everything it can to be to efficient. And efficiency is not muscle. Right. Right. You wanna be inefficient, be 40% body fat with zero muscle. Yeah. You're gonna live forever if a famine happens, right? Let me explain that again, guys. Your body needs fat. Uh, to stay alive. It understands that. It needs fat around the organs and everything. So if you think that you're dieting down in a crazy deficit and your body's going to just uh, eat your fat, it's it's taught to protect itself. It's yeah. an amazing thing, the body. Yeah. It wants a certain amount of fat to muscle ratio based on the fact of survival. You have to look at it in caveman terms, right? You know, you need muscle to survive, but you need fat to survive too. And the body is going to strip the thing in which that makes it least efficient. And efficiency is lack of muscle. If you're weak and you're fat, then your body doesn't need a lot of energy to survive. So if right. it has a ton of fat storage, right. that means it can go months in famine. 
I hope you guys understand that. And so my point today really was to bring in somebody um, similar to me, similar to Heath Evans, um, because of the facts that we we didn't waste our teen years. Um, I did compete as a bodybuilder, obviously, as a teenager. I went to the Nationals and teenage, um, and I won the universe by 20. But that was three months out of the year. Three months out of the year. So the rest of the nine months, I was eating like a horse and trying to get size. Sure. Um, and, and so what I would like to do for you guys today is powerlifting form-based, I think, is better than bodybuilding. Uh, sure. Uh, powerlifting nutrition. Um trying to put some size on, trying to eat healthy, mostly for you young teens and 20s. Um, and your, your major reason for that is what we're talking about, is it's maintaining the anabolic system. You need to maintain the anabolic system in your prime to let your body grow as much as it possibly can so that you can be your best when your best time arrives. And your best time arrives is not 19 years old. Right. It's, it's 35, you know. So it, it goes back to the whole thing about social media right now. I, I want to be famous today and I want to be ripped today. I don't care about 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I guess uh, the one lucky thing that I had is that I didn't have social media. Sure. Um, I had to win titles to get in the magazines. I had to look great and I had to be stronger than everybody else yeah. uh, to get in the magazines. Um, today, all you got to do is look good. And yeah. you got your social media, you got a great personality, you're famous, but you're setting yourself up for a short career. Sure. I think the big thing with me was, is it was a different, you know, our teenagers were slightly changed due to the point that, you know, I came into the lifting scene with massive trauma to my legs. So I had to win everything with technique. There were guys that every, every decade, there were a handful of dudes that could be stronger than me if they were willing to put the longevity into play. Sure, you've ran into any of that as well in your generations. But what I had to do was beat people with technique and longevity. And I remember my coach going, look, if you can stay together until you're 30, you can probably have a world record. And he was right because I didn't hit my first world record until I was almost 29. Now, remember, that started training at 11 and a half years old. So, again, guys, that is patience. That is understanding you're in it for the long haul. Um, see, we both started. Uh, I think you competed at uh, bench press meet 13. at what age? 13. Right when I turned 13. We pain. both were 13 when we did our first uh, bench press meet and um, – Powerlifting meets by 14 and 15 and 16 and so yeah. on. Yeah, full meet at 14, yeah. Yeah, so the similarities are there. We're still doing this today. He's much younger than me, much, much, much younger. Um, I'm Photoshopped, so that's the only reason I'm still here. <laughs> but uh, for you youngsters, please understand the idea of calories in, um, feeding that body, and then staying that for a while. I know you guys are in a rush to get in shape, and I know that a lot of my Titan members are like, Okay, I did this plan. Let me jump to the next thing. And I start out my Titan members. And this is for everybody at home on YouTube. Uh, I, my two basic plans is strength gains and pro secrets. And the pro secrets is my power bodybuilding. Okay. So if they want to develop the muscle with um, uh, maintaining the strength sure. as they do their routines, it's great. Or strength gains, which is based on building strength on those compound movements. My belief is that you should do those plans, not for the 12 weeks I have it set up. The 12 weeks is, and, and I'll have him explain this to you guys even better than I can. 12 weeks is a plan. You start somewhere, you go somewhere, then you refresh, start again. And I know that a lot of you guys at home um, on the Titan crew and on YouTube, you guys do the 12-week plan and then you think, okay, let me go on to the next thing. 
Now the next thing is just starting over. So can you explain sure. to them why we set it up for eight weeks or 12 weeks sure. and then why you would just go right back into it instead of going, I need to diet. And I kind of, we, we, we kind of said this to them, but I just want to, sure. I want layman's terms, simple, so they understand. Yeah. What you have to understand is that eight and 12 weeks in a developmental process is a flash in the frying pan. It really has no bearing on any real long-term morphological gains. So what you have to understand is that even though I know we all want to believe I put a lot of hard work in these last three months, three months is not a long time. So, and that the longer you train, the more you're going to realize that, you know, we blink of an eye and this week is already gone, gone. right? And that's just one little portion. So you have to have more of a long-term thought process to your development. I would recommend that someone run, if they're running a mass cycle to do it correctly, you're going to need anywhere from 24 to 36 weeks in a similar system in order to see really, really well results. Most of the online clients that we train and the clients that we train at my facility in Ohio, we see exceptional results after 36 weeks. Okay, so what he's saying is that you're in a surplus of calories, uh, you're training uh, to get stronger, um, so you're gonna be developing muscle. And I wanna go into this one more thing about as you're, as you're building strength, what happens, the side effects of building strength. Um, now I even say even go longer than the 36, that way that muscle has time to just sit there on that body yep. and it understands that is yours now. Yeah. Uh, because 36 it, weeks would be a minimal thought process. See, I think at bare minimum. Do you guys understand that? I hope you understand that. And again, on YouTube, you guys can, you know, write down comments down below. And so you guys on a uh, Titan crew. Um, and then also understanding that 36 weeks would be a bare minimum also depending on your age of training. So you have not only chronological age, which could be 16, 20, 25, 30, but you also have training age. The older you get in training age, the shorter the cycles can be to peak and or do what you want to do because you already have the base set. Yeah. Right? So if I already have a Corvette that's already fast, all I got to do is clean it up and polish it. Now it's a super Corvette. Now it doesn't mean if you're old that you can do less time. What that means is if your training experience sure. is, is long. So training age, you know, you can be an older person and still have a young training age, Correct. which means that your cycles are still going to have to be longer. You just might even have to be exponentially longer because your body's going to change slower. The younger you are, the faster you change. But you have to be careful too because you're chronological age is not old enough to withstand the joints, joints yeah. ligaments and soft tissue to be able to start actually making the proper uh, morphological changes to withstand impact and pressure. So you're fighting two major things. You're fighting chronological age and training age. The older you get training age with smart training, the more damage you can incur, both in nutrition deficits and in volume but also because your ligaments, tendons, and soft tissue are stronger. The younger you are in training age means the less intensity and volume you've had on you. Therefore, you have to be more patient in the length in which it takes to make the changes. So if you ask me uh, today, what is better, powerlifting or bodybuilding, I would say powerlifting, uh, especially in today's day and age because of the, um, the information that is put out, and I always like to do this, I always like to give less information and sure. just give you straight points because of the fact if I give you too much information, you take something I say and, and I give you a little crack in the window and suddenly you kick open the barn doors sure. and said, no, no, Mike said this. Um, the other thing too is like, you know, back in our day, 
you might have had at, at a state level, you might have only had two or three meets you could have ever chosen from because it wasn't that popular. Now, because of the popularity of CrossFit, but also the popularity of powerlifting, yep. you could find a weekend, almost every weekend, that there is a meet that's fairly local, which means that you can put less pressure on yourself. You can go to meets and actually tune your technique yeah. versus worrying about just trying to get stronger every meet, get better and more proficient in the movement, and then watch the strength gains rise over the next 10 years. Yep. Right? So again, I'm going to make sure that uh, um, Mona and the team has the video up from our leg workout. I really want you guys to watch his form on squats. Um, it is one of the big things. Uh, again, um, powerlifting um, in the sense, and what I mean by powerlifting, I mean the sense of leverage, uh, proper form on the lifts. Um, you learn that, you learn how to control the weight, um, you learn to pause because uh, I think when most people think powerlifting, they, they think, you know, arch the back and bounce it. That's not powerlifting. Powerlifting mm -hmm. is slow and controlled uh, with a proper explosion. Yeah. Um, so, again, follow Matt. Uh, bright guy. He's got some great podcasts, great information, great videos. Um, and, again, he's one, somebody I recommend. So, if you want to go to somebody to learn from, um, I 100% recommend him. Let's see, uh, so youngsters, uh, anybody really powerlifting, learn those forms, understand that old school power, uh, old school bodybuilders were powerlifters. Mm -hmm. It's only the new generation um, that really stay away from the weights. Yeah. And here's one of the big things I'd like to ask you then. Sure. What is better for the body? Uh, one rep at 100 pounds or 100 reps at 10 pounds? What are we gonna try to change? Um, what I would like to do is mileage. Mileage. Well, with perfect technique, both of them can be equal with perfect form. But the problem with that high of a rep range is you're going to have de deterioration of technique. So a one rep max um, with 100 pounds is going to be safer if the warm-up is correct and the technique is correct than 100 pounds or uh, 10 pounds 100 times based on the fact of the matter that you're going to have technical flaw, usually after the reps of anywhere from 10 to 12. That's why you notice, if you read a lot of the old Soviet literature on Olympic lifting, when these guys, all they had to do was clean a jerk. Yep. Two lifts. Yep. They never did anything over threes. And the reason was technical proficiency. So... That's um, completely form-built. Sure. Olympic lifting. Sure. I, I, the one thing I like is a side effect of, of heavy weight. And the side effect is, and this is science again, it goes back to it, is that your body adapts to the pressure it's put under. Yeah. Um, and so one of the biggest things that I love the fact of is that my body has been under heavy weight for 40 years. And so that it has become adapted to that weight. So when I put something heavy on me, my body doesn't think it's heavy. And this doesn't matter if I'm fasting like I am today and we go train. Yeah. It doesn't matter. My body is used to that heavy weight. Yeah. And so what I like to see is like, how Mona is a mid forty year old woman, yep. and, and most forty year old women very lightweight, very very, you know, tons of reps and yeah, stuff. Your traditional like toning thought pattern. And then they get these injuries, and their bodies start to get soft and soft. Where Mona's body is strong, mm -hmm. like yours, it's just a solid brick wall. Yep. Um, at mid forties, yeah, she has a kid back in shape in a month and a half, and lifting again, and yep. getting back on stage. Yeah, that's so, what I love about the heavy weights. Yeah, the heavy weights also. You're talking. What you're talking about is that neurological spark plug. 
So when you have uh, that 100 pounds one time, you're actually creating essential nervous system adaptation. The, the other lighter weights for more reps is not creating, in my opinion, essential nervous system adaptation load. And that's why people that are super strong tend to bounce back from pregnancies and injuries much quicker because their neurological system is like a drag race car versus most people that are doing high reps are Honda Civics that have just tried to put a cool air intake on it. Well, it doesn't matter. It's only 200 horsepower. Yeah. Right? So if, if you guys, hopefully you guys understand that point. It, it, I'm not, we're not bashing lightweights. Lightweights is a key point to have in there. Sure. Um, but I'm talking mileage. Um, again, uh, I would rather you go into the gym. And resiliency. Yeah. The gym is not about going in and spending three hours supersetting and running around the gym, getting your heart rate at 150 miles an hour. It is about going into the gym, doing the least amount of work possible, and still get better. Yeah, a book to read on that is uh, Thomas Kurtz, K-U-R-Z, wrote a book on science of sports training back in the 80s, and he followed a lot of the Soviet system. And what I liked about his book, and in the first cover page, it says training has been most efficient when the work and the rest ratios and all that are ideal, meaning that get the most from the least. You need to get figure out which exercise is going to give you the most muscle growth and strength gain with the least amount of time energy. But we always think more is better when in reality better is better. And that's what I love <laughs> about that front cover is, you know, training is efficient when you figure out how to get the best from the least amount of work. Yeah. Right? So if you're always fresh all the time, it's a lot easier to go to the gym because trust me and you know this, um, once psychological burnout from either heavy weights or long training cycles start to set in, the neurological system and the, the psychological burnout is much more um, complex to get out of than it is just to being muscular or sore. And I think that is the major component. I think I think a lot of these people don't realize that mental. Yeah, oh, yeah, and that's what I mean. And that's the other thing I think that Mike is trying to tell you guys is that once you start adding in caloric deficits, your mental toughness has to go through the roof because you're going to start to lose that caloric uh, intake um, you know, advancement to the point that your body is going to feel, hey, well, what's going on here? I don't have as many calories to burn. I'm going to start feeling weaker. And it is hard to go in the gym when you feel weak. It's hard to go in the gym when you're on a deficit. You need to learn how to be strong and be able to um, adjust yourself when everything's not perfect. Because, yep. you know, me and Ed Cohen talked about this all the time. And uh, a guy asked us, goes, how many times do you think in your life that you can be the best you can ever be in strength? This is where the powerlifting seminar and Ed Cohen said, you're lucky if you get 10. So you have 10 meets your whole life that you're going to be able to knock everything in the park if you're lucky. And that's if you do it for 30 years. Wow. So think about it in that perspective. You're going to have 10 times that's from the grave. that your body can shine. That's a guy that had 74 world records. There you go. So the point is that you have 10 times to be your absolute best. Make them count. Do them um, smart and make sure that when you deficit, that you're ready to not psychologically take an ability to not feel your best. And that's why powerlifting comes before bodybuilding, just like you said. Yep, there we go. Hopefully this helped you guys. Um, for the Titan crew, make sure to ask some questions here, and, and we'll answer later on today. For everybody at home watching the YouTube, um, subscribe to your channel, which yeah. is... Winning Strength. Winning Strength. Easy enough. W-E-N-N-I-N-G. Yeah. <laughs> e, not I. Yeah. Um, follow him. Um, and again, we will be doing a seminar out at your gym in Ohio before the Arnold Classic. Sure. Uh, we'll be selling tickets to that here soon. 
uh, make, make sure to just subscribe to both of us and ask questions. And again, uh, powerlifting is your base and then you can do the bodybuilding. Um, and again, stay on the program for a long period of time. That way your body comes adapted to it and keeps that muscle. And that's it. You got anything Perfect. else to wrap up on this? No, I think I think just keep following what Mike's trying to tell you guys. Keep learning that, you know, build up the base muscle. Make sure that you're getting super strong first. That way you got something to cut into when you start hitting deficits. And just make sure that, you know, it, your diet should be about right. If you, I would say you lose, I mean, I've never seen you so dieted down that you weren't at least within 10 to 15% of what you are at your best. But that takes a lot of time to figure out how many proteins, fats, and carbs, and hydration that you need at that time, which is a completely different ball game. So master the strength game, then master the nutrition game. That's it. I question Mo. Did you get up the squat of him yet? Arm. Okay, so let's get let's get those squats up for these people. We'll get the squats up by, by tomorrow for you guys to watch his form. Sure. And then make sure to go over and watch that. It's incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, and that was under fatigue. So if you want to watch true powerlifting style squats, you know, if you get on my channel and watch a lot of the squat videos that we have where we're only doing doubles and triples, yeah. that's going to show you really what we do. Um, we try, yeah, we, try uh, we, to we got him up to five sets of 10 the other day, which is something he's doesn't do because of uh, uh, what he's trying to accomplish. But he thought he'd come out here and try a week worth of uh, craziness with me, <laughs> which was awesome. Yeah, it was great. I love the challenge. I mean, it's always fun to me. I. That, and I think we talked about that a little yesterday was, you know, go to places where you're challenged. Don't go to the place where you're the best. Go to the place where you're the small fish in the big pond. And I like coming out here because although I think me and you are very similar in the three lift strengths as far as me losing 45 pounds now and cleaning up my diet and you being deficited all the time. Now we're similar weights. But the amount of stuff you can do on accessories and, and certain things is just absolutely amazing. So it gives me something to strive for and the point of it is is that be mentally tough enough to go somewhere where you're not the best where you need work somewhere because you know i could have a huge ego mike could have a huge ego mike has no problem coming in